Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. The Center for Drug Repurposing was founded in just at the very end of last year. So this was the brainchild of George Mashur in, in, in MISHAR, our Clinical Translational Science um, Institute. And the purpose of the Center for Drug Repurposing is to enable investigators at the University of Michigan to find new uses for old drugs. So there are about 2,400 FDA-approved drugs. And there are many thousands more clinical candidates, which these are drugs that are either in current development or were shelved for some reason in development. So this is a, a very large pharmacopoeia. And we've had many, many examples where a drug has been administered to a patient and then they, they notice that there are other beneficial effects. So, so that was sort of how drug repurposing started is just with the serendipitous observation of drugs having an effect for a disease for which they were not developed for. With enough examples of this happening, we, we really felt like we should institutionalize this and systematize a process to enable investigators at the University of Michigan to, uh, to do drug repurposing. And there's a, a very vibrant and healthy drug discovery community here on campus. And so there's a Michigan Drug Discovery in the Life Sciences Institute. The med school has a tremendous amount of resources that are dedicated to drug discovery. And really the first step in any drug discovery campaign should be drug repurposing because the main benefit of drug repurposing is that it has the ability to immediately respond to an unmet medical need. And I can't think of a more urgent unmet medical need than at this COVID-19 epidemic here. And this is exactly why we're doing this now. Chance favors the prepared mind. And this is a very potent illustration of that here. So just in October, we launched the Center for Drug Repurposing and have just set up all of the infrastructure necessary to complete a drug repurposing campaign like this one. And here we are, we were able to very effectively with very low barriers, jump straight into screening mammalian cells against for their potential to develop a, a SARS-CoV-2 infection. And SARS-CoV-2 is the virus that causes the, the COVID-19 disease. In Michigan medicine, we're anticipating the maximum, the peak of inpatient admissions in about two weeks time frame. So we're in this exponential growth phase. And really the only intervention that's really possible to deploy in a short time frame is the repurposing of an existing existing drug. So that's the whole reason why we're doing this first. We have many initiatives to try to address the COVID-19 pandemic, but our first is going in search of a, a drug or rather a cocktail of drugs that can have a high efficacy as, as an antiviral and also to dampen the host response to the, to the disease because the host response to the disease is really incredibly variable. You have people walking around who are completely asymptomatic, and then you have the other unfortunate people who have, you know, who develop acute respiratory distress or myocarditis who have very, very poor outcomes. So that's all in the response of the host, the human being, to the viral pathogen there. Really, our initial push is to perform drug screening where we have our all FDA-approved drugs that are readily deployable. 
in with a reasonable supply chain. This does not work very well for agents like monoclonal antibodies and because of the supply is very limited and they're very expensive. Additionally, vaccines are going to take a, a much longer time horizon to develop. And so this is really the only kind of technology that we could deploy that where we could do the discovery research and then deploy within the time frame to meet this wave of the pandemic and the epidemiologists are, are forecasting that there will be several additional waves that occur before we truly develop herd immunity. There are many groups that are using artificial intelligence and machine learning to predict what compounds or drugs would be efficacious for this disease. And uh, there was a very nice study published by the Shoycat Lab at UCSF where they did some in silico predictions of the drugs that would be efficacious for COVID-19. And we have a collaboration with them. We, we have all of the drugs that they predicted and we will test them. However, our approach is more of a brute force approach where we are going to test every single one. We're not gonna leave this to the predictions. So we are physically testing every single drug that we have for its ability to demonstrate efficacy in the SARS-CoV-2 infection process. And so we're actually measuring that. We, we're using a technology called high content screening and cell painting. And this technology, what it does is it allows us to collect images of the cells under a viral infection and also healthy cells. And so we're actually doing those experiments, but where we use the artificial intelligence is really in what's called machine vision. So we're in, during the course of these next week and a half, we'll be collecting approximately a million images. And you know what they say, an image is worth a thousand words. And if we have a million images, then that's, that's a, a lot of data. So it's going to generate a lot of data. First of all, that's too many images. We can't sit around and look at those, those images. We don't have enough eyeballs. And so we have trained our computers to go in, recognize cells, and measure up to 2,000 features for every single cell. And this allows us to really very finely characterize the, uh, what a cell looks like when it's entering the viral infection process, when it has a full-blown virus infection, when it's about to lyse and rupture and, and release new virus particles. So this is, again, where artificial intelligence methods are incredibly helpful because what we can do is we can train the artificial intelligence to take those measurements and build us a scoring system for compounds that look like they have efficacy. This also allows us to detect a little bit different mechanisms of action. When I was talking about forming this drug cocktail, we don't want to use the same mechanism of action three times. We want to approach the therapeutic situation from different angles. And what that means is we want to exploit different mechanisms of action. So one of those is inhibiting viral entry. Another one is inhibiting viral replication. And then the third is to suppress the host cell's response, right? We don't want the cell to you know, engage in cell stress. If we can take all three of those things down a few notches, then we're going to push patients from acute respiratory distress, you know, back into maybe symptomology that's more consistent with a normal cold or flu. And the whole goal of, of just reducing the, the long-term damage and the death from, 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 this, uh, from this terrible virus.
the Center for Drug Repurposing came together as a team. So that was that was me, Kevin Weatherwax, the managing director of the Center for Drug Repurposing, and George Mashur, who is the head of Mishar and also the chair of uh, the Department of Anesthesiology. We came together and we went through a process to determine if this was something we would be able to do rapidly. And after that phase of analysis, we had the idea to not just screen for single agents, but actually to screen and optimize cocktails of drugs. So we, we realized that that was able to be done. We had everything that we needed to do that in the span of just several weeks. And so the research, that was about 12 days ago. So in that 12 days, broken down all the barriers to, to performing this research, We've done the critical assay development, and actually now we have begun the drug screening process, and we hope to be done with that in about seven to 10 days. It's after that point, after seven to 10 days, we'll have actionable information. First of all, we'll know if we have efficacy in any of the drugs that we have currently. And then we're going to pick those and combine them together to form a highly efficacious cocktails. And, and this is not a, a, a new concept. This was pioneered really in the treatment of HIV. And so single agents like AZT were deployed and they had sort of marginal efficacy against HIV, but it was really when the cocktails of drugs that came together that inhibited viral replication, that restored their immune function, that reduced the transmissibility of the virus itself, where the strategy is really to surround the virus from different angles, from different mechanisms of action so that they can't evade whatever drug that we're going to apply. And this is a serious concern because drug resistance can emerge very rapidly. So there's a, a, a drug called remdesivir from a company called Gilead, who is likely going to receive FDA approval for, their, for, for that drug as an antiviral against COVID-19. And as a single agent, it will just take one mutation in the virus and then it will be completely resistant to it. This is why we need to surround the, the, the virus from many angles, from inhibiting viral entry, from inhibiting the replication of the virus itself, and then also dampening the, the host cell response so that we can maintain uh, cell health even during that infection process. And so we're using what was learned in, those, in the HIV cocktailing success. I mean, that really was a victory. Now, uh, HIV patients have basically have undetectable viral load and are not capable of transmitting the virus anymore. So that's an absolute victory. So we're applying that same paradigm to this drug repurposing effort to find new uses for old drugs. And in this context, we hope to find not just a single agent, but things that we can put together that enhance their efficacy. So what, what that is, is that's, that's synergy in the mechanism where if we can hit them from multiple different angles, then we'll have this multiplicative effect. That's what we call synergy in effect. And that's really where the artificial intelligence comes in. So this is an experimental platform that we're using. It's called cell painting, the cell painting technique. This is where we, we take a human cell. Human cells are, the, are the, the best platform for drug discovery, right? We, this is a human problem. So we use human cells as the platform for drug discovery. And then we deliver to them in a dish, a viral infection. So we have purified live SARS-CoV-2 that we apply to the cells, and then they rapidly develop an infection. So what we're doing now is we're pre-incubating 
these human cells, and these are these are lung cells. And so lung is the site where that it causes the most damage. So patients in acute respiratory distress, this is the main cause of morbidity and mortality in this in this context is uh, is in the lung injury. So we have a bronchial airway epithelial cell model that we put in a dish, expose them to virus, and see if the drugs can really influence that process. And when we see that, we may see a, a drug that has 10% efficacy and another one that has 30% efficacy. When we put them together, we're not just looking for an additive effect where we would see 40% efficacy. We wanna see, when we add those two together, we wanna see 90 to 100% efficacy. So in situations like that, the multiple drugs are attacking from different angles. And what that does is that it weakens the virus and it allows for us to use lower doses of each one of the drugs. This also helps to avoid adverse events when, uh, when administering drugs to patients. So we're very hopeful that we'll find a cocktail that we can deploy very rapidly. So the timeline for deployment to the clinic is nearly instantaneous. So once we get to the point where we have our drug cocktail optimized in a dish, then we were working with our infectious disease physicians to help prioritize the cocktails that we're creating. And then if acceptable to the infectious disease docs in terms of the risk analysis, then we'll be able to deploy that very rapidly. And then the whole MISHAR team is behind us to help with the FDA regulatory approach. So a big part of this is, is registering these kinds of activities with the Food and Drug Administration to make sure that we're conducting these kinds of studies in a safe environment. We're anticipating a peak inpatient admissions to our hospital in about two weeks, in about a week and a half to two weeks. So the middle to the you know, second to third week in April. And so what that means is that the peak for viral infection. So this is the period of latency where people are walking around, are asymptomatic, but infectious. The peak of that is happening right now. So it's really important for the general public to understand that the peak of infectivity is happens before all of the hospitalization that occurs. And so that period of time is right now. So when we talk about flattening the curve, you really don't want to be one of those patients that is presenting at the time of the peak, because that's when equipment shortages are going to be a real issue. And so if you can, now's the time to stay home, and avoid all contact as much as possible, because this is really the peak in Michigan. In addition to this first pass of, of drug repurposing, to find a cocktail of drugs that can, that can reduce the severity and the duration of the disease. That's really what we need to do here. If all we can do is push patients out of acute respiratory or prevent them from forming acute respiratory distress and myocarditis, this is the effects of the viral infection in cardiac tissue and your heart tissue, if we can just keep them out of that, they will resolve and they'll be able to go back to a normal life. It's when they manifest the acute respiratory distress and have permanent lung fibrosis, where they're now physically impaired for a considerable amount of time, or if they have myocarditis. The myocarditis patients have some of the worst survival rate out of any of our patients. So we're following on our initial drug repurposing push to lessen the severity and lessen the time frame of the disease. And then we're, we're going to go after some of the nuances in the disease, like why does this disease primarily affect people who are over 65 years old, whereas young people can be totally asymptomatic. 
and the, the other thing is to address the myocarditis endpoints specifically. So we know that there are drugs that people take that can either enhance or suppress the formation of, of the myocarditis endpoint in the clinic. And that's another thing because of the fact that it's particularly lethal. What we're doing here in this push is not just to address the main epidemic, but then also to follow that on with some mechanistic studies to help us understand the cause of the disease, the mechanisms that are at play and how, again, we, how we can address that with either drug repurposing or conventional drug discovery, because this disease is going to be with us for quite some time. I would like to comment on chloroquine and chloroquine's combination with azithromycin. So these are, these are actually repurposed drugs. And so chloroquine was, is an anti-malarial drug. Then azithromycin is an antibiotic. So this is a good example of a drug repurposing hypothesis that had been established back in SARS-1, in the SARS-1 epidemic. There was some evidence that chloroquine was reducing viral infectivity in mammalian cells and even in human beings. And so that hypothesis was dusted off. And there was a group in France that showed some initial efficacy with chloroquine and azithromycin, both separate and together. And it showed remarkable effects in that first published study. But however, the situation is really rapidly evolving. In two follow-up clinical studies, they're showing zero efficacy for chloroquine alone and chloroquine coupled with azithromycin. And so it's really important that we evaluate these hypotheses, but we can't get too invested in any one of these. And so from my perspective, chloroquine alone and chloroquine plus azithromycin don't seem to be viable from two follow-up clinical studies demonstrating a zero efficacy. I'd also just like to say a brief thanks to the leadership at U of M who have enabled this research. The university is under a research shutdown, so the University Office of Research recognized what we were doing and gave us full approval and authorization to do this. We have a, an amazing team of support one thing that's happened, a good thing that's happened in light of this pandemic is that we've been able to pull together as a team and accomplish something that's really absolutely amazing. We took a hypothesis 12 days ago that we could be screening in live SARS-CoV-2 virus, and we've made it a reality in just 12 days. So this normally would take us six to, six to 12 months to develop a screening campaign like this. But with the support of everyone in, in my laboratory, Mitch R and you more in, in Michigan Medicine, they've really enabled us to act swiftly to try to anticipate and produce something therapeutic for, for this wave of the pandemic. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.